and th there are two questions here. One is whether we need seeds at scale. And then the second question is how do different pools, you know, get allocated different seeds? So we can start off with the first one, which is the idea is that, you know, we have seeds for the stock system, um, but, but maybe at scale, we don't need seeds anymore. What do you think about why would, that? Why, why would that be? Um, so, so the, the thinking is, and if I remember, if I remember the argument correctly, um, it was something of sorts that, you know, the seeds are there, um, to, you know, introduce an opportunity cost to not leave the silo, but once beanstalk is at scale and everyone already uses, you know, uh, beans, uh, there is no need to add that opportunity cost anymore. Okay. So the answer to the first question is actually directly related to the second question, which is setting the amount of seeds for different deposited assets and in particular deposited different pools. So the, the stock and seed system, what's typically called the stock system, uh, is hopefully going to continue to evolve. Uh, and the thought that one of the things that we've been thinking about might be a better way to say it is having the, instead of the Dow set specific seeds per BDV for a given asset, instead set targeted ratios of BDV in the silo. And then the seeds per BDV can change depending on the ratio of the different assets in the pool. So what that could mean in practice is that the DAO could vote that uh, the optimal amount of exposure of Beanstalk, meaning the liquidity that beans are trading against, is 50% uh, staked ETH, 30% uh, ETH, uh, and then, you know, 20% of different currencies. The point is that the seeds per BDV ratio for depositing different assets could change over time uh, autonomously as a way for the protocol to regulate around depositing different assets in the protocol and introduce relative opportunity cost depending on the asset that is in the silo. So the seeds even if at true scale in the trillions, there's no need to leave the silo ever, then the seeds would still have a strong function in terms of Beanstalk's ability to manage risk. Yeah, and, and, I, and you're right, this answered the second question, and I have some follow-ups to, to the second one. But if we go back to the first one a bit, and I think the idea uh, comes in from the thought that uh, um, seeds is like a cost uh, to the protocol. So somehow, if we abstract those seeds, then the protocol doesn't have to pay uh, for that stock. Can you maybe uh, uh, touch upon the idea of like once you're in 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 the system or once you're in the silo, uh, is there an actual cost because of seeds, or seeds scale everyone equally, so it doesn't really exist? So it's interesting because Beanstalk can mint beans and stock and seeds and any other asset. There's no cost to the minting of the assets. Where the cost plays in is in the opportunity cost associated with grown stock from seeds in various different instances. 
So just to play them through, the first is the most obvious one, which is that the amount of opportunity cost for withdrawing a deposited asset increases over time. However, there's also a couple of more subtle things about the seeds. The first is uh, that the different seeds per BDV does affect people's willingness to deposit different assets. So if you can receive more seeds per BDV, you may be willing to deposit more of one asset or another. And then the second uh, aspect of it, or the third, uh, I guess, would be that the the stock, the grown stock that any individual has relative to others, relative to newer deposits, decreases over time. And so the function of grown stock and the structure of seeds yielding grown stock linearly uh, is also designed to decrease the ownership concentration of beans over time. And that's another thing that you you would lose uh, if you got rid of seeds. Okay, that, that, that's great. My follow-up question was going to be on whether you think um, the DAO can be, um, let's say, accurate in their prediction of what pool is good for beanstalk and therefore allocate more seeds to it? Or do you think you know, the market will always know better and there is no reason for us to divert them as long as it's an LP and let them choose? So this is a situation where there's a feedback between the rate that Beanstalk is paying in terms of seeds per BDV and what the market says. But it's important to state that what the market wants is going to be dependent on lots of different factors outside of Beanstalk, right? If you're holding BDV and you get a choice between holding a bunch of different assets that are all have whitelisted LP tokens with beans and these assets as exposure, which assets people are going to choose is totally independent of Beanstalk, except for the seeds per BDV. And so the reality is that to answer your first question, is the DAO able to assess risk? I think in general, the DAO should be able to assess risk. The DAO should be able to assess risk, uh, but they don't need to assess risk that well. The point is just at a high level from a macro perspective, which are the assets that Beanstalk wants exposure to and which are the assets that Beanstalk wants less exposure to. Uh, so it's not, it's not like such a sophisticated question to answer. And it's really important to note that the market is going to react to the rate that Beanstalk is paying in terms of seeds per BDV. So that's why it might make sense to transition over time to a system where uh, the seeds per BDV changes based on the desired exposure of Beanstalk as determined by the DAP. And of course, the amount of seeds per BDV is, is evident in how Beanstalk um, incentivizes or is moved towards uh, more liquidity uh, rather than just holding you know, beans. Okay, uh, another discussion uh, revolves around, you know, derivative markets once once we have them built on top of Beanstalk. And the worry comes from once we have, you know, participants able to uh, short or long, um, they will somehow start, you know, uh, that'll be like an incentive for them to manipulate uh, uh, the market. So just starting off on, on a top level, so a, a leverage market or a longer or short is basically doing things with more capital. So the 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 same the same thing that you can do, you just need like a lot of money for you to be able to do it. 
can you maybe probably just take us through how does Beanstalk in general, uh, you know, uh, stops or avoids manipulation, let's say, or is manipulation resistant? So on the one hand, the I think it's important to state that there's a difference between the protocol being manipulation resistant and the users of the protocol being manipulation resistant. And in a world where there's sophisticated derivatives built on top of Beanstalk, it's very hard to imagine a scenario where particularly in the first couple of years, there's not a lot of money to be made in using derivatives to get short, create a lot of FUD, dump some beans on the market, create some sell pressure, and create some short-term negative feedback loop. That is, is manipulating user behavior to extent. Now, uh, manipulating might not be the best word because uh, people can, can be free to do whatever they want. Uh, but the concept is through uh, some sort of actions, you can create a sell pressure and a bank run, and there's no reason whatsoever to expect that won't happen with Beanstalk and with Beans. And so I think the point is that the, the question is around twofold. One, what are users doing? But the assumption is that users are running for the hills, at least to some extent, and there is a bank run. And then the second question is around what does the protocol do to respond to it? But that's separate than the protocol being manipulated. So what does Beanstalk do during a bank run? Well, we've experienced it a couple of different times and it issues a lot of debt. It tries to incentivize converts, but it may take a while for the bean price to return to the peg. It's taken a month plus to return the price to the peg in the past. And there's no reason to expect that that won't happen again. Uh, but the bigger point is that over time, Beanstalk should be able to return the bean price to its, its peg. And even if it takes a long time to do it, uh, the more it does it and the more frequently it, it, it is able to return the bean price to its peg in response to uh, large FUD events or large sell pressure events, uh, the less and less the user manipulation will happen, if that makes sense. So there's a, a, a positive feedback loop in terms of anti-reflexivity here, but it's something that Beanstalk's going to have to earn and earn the hard way. And the hard way is that it's volatility, which there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Long-term uh, Beanstalk uh, you know, holders and I guess silo members and pod holders ultimately reap the benefits of long-term oriented uh, participation in the protocol, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So Beanstalk has always been willing to trade short-term price volatility for long-term sustainability. And as derivatives are introduced on top of the protocol, uh, there's no reason to expect that volatility will, will be less. Now, there's certain ways to implement Beanstalk native derivatives that will be volatility dampening, and that's great. But over time, you'd expect FTX to roll out a bean perp. And now you can get short beans in size. Uh, that's going to result in some real sell pressure on the market in some capacity. Even if uh, you can buy the short perps and not actually sell the beans, you'd expect in a somewhat efficient market, people are hedging that exposure uh, who are taking the other side. So it's like there, there's going to be sell pressure created in some capacity through artificial derivatives and, and other forms as the economy grows. So uh, the, the thing is that Beanstalk can't be afraid of it. The more educated people are about how Beanstalk works, the less likely it is that Beanstalk is unable to survive such a situation. An uneducated user base is much more likely to be manipulable in such a situation. So 
that's that's one of the reasons why we love class so much and hopefully that's a constructive uh way to think about derivatives at a high level and then obviously happy to talk about any particular derivatives and what they might mean for beanstalk that, that was very clear uh, and thank you uh, for taking us through it um, and to those who, who might have just joined us uh, or already there if you have follow-up questions uh, on that uh, please free, feel free to drop them in the town hall chat okay beanstalk decks so we, we spoke a little bit about it uh, in the past uh, classes and meetings uh, and, and we get the general idea which is you know a zero fee um, 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 exchange or a dex we also touched a little bit upon this, but maybe you can expand more on how does that help with, with peg maintenance. So we understand that now maybe the cheapest, most popular uh, exchange charges uh, four basis points. Uh, how, how does that impact you know, the ability uh, for, um, for peg maintenance and specifically convert and, and the efficiency of the convert market? So in short, it's pretty simple. Whatever the fee is, if it's four basis points, one basis point, half a basis point, uh, or 50 basis points, that is the difference between the efficient price to arbitrage the bean price to its peg and the peg. So a four basis point uh, fee means that anyone buying beans uh, above uh, the peg minus four basis points is actually paying above the peg. And anyone selling below the peg plus four basis points is selling below the peg, which is obviously inefficient for people that are buying and selling beans at the amount of whatever the fee is. And so lowering the fee is great, but the reality is that if it, you're paying above, who wants to pay above a dollar for a bean, right? So the whole point of, of buying below the peg is that you should be able to buy all the way to the peg uh, and that will help with peg maintenance. Otherwise, the efficient thing to do is to buy up to 9996 and that doesn't really help Beanstalk, right? Beanstalk wants to, to incentivize buying to one, to its peg. So uh, removing the fee altogether should greatly uh, help with peg maintenance. Even if it seems microscopic, in practice, it's quite significant. So to translate that to numbers, if the price of bean is 99.7, that makes no sense right now for anyone to convert because it can't be profitable. Well, it's not that it makes no sense. To some extent, the stock uh, is retained, but it's, it's, it is inefficient to a large extent. Yes, the, maybe the most efficient thing to do if it's purely selfish behavior right now is to convert to 9996. Yes, and 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 my, my my example I excluded, of course, the uh, the opportunity or the or the value of uh, the accrued or gained stock. Okay, um, those are the question the questions that I had. Um, I see Austin typing something in the town hall chat, so maybe we can wait wait for that. Okay, he dropped a few questions. So the first question is about soil um, and the soil market. So is it, is it, is it possible to adequately, adequately measure uh, demand for soil when issuing less than a soil for so many seasons in a row? Hmm. 
So on the one hand, adequately measuring demand for soil is such a difficult thing to say what that means. The reality is that it's very easy to measure that there is demand for soil. So the positive, there is demand for soil, is a lot easier to measure than when there's not demand for soil. When there's not demand for soil, it's hard for Beanstalk to know whether there's, there's not demand for soil because there's not enough soil that it's cost effective to sow when factoring in gas costs. Uh, but when people are sowing, when there is demand for soil at such low amounts, then Beanstalk is able to adequately measure demand for soil. Now, if you're asking about in a perfect world, how does this work? It's very hard to know because what people, what the market demands in terms of even factoring in gas, uh, the maybe like the gas-adjusted return, uh, the minimum gas-adjusted return, it's like that's hard to know. So you can program in uh, the gas fee, but you still don't know what the actual return is that is necessary. And that's really at small scale a function of the amount of soil. So there is this weird there's this weird edge case around what to do when there's not enough soil and it's imperfect. Yeah, I think, I think there are a few challenges there, but all in all, it's, it's a good um, measure. Uh, or let's say maybe you're not measuring demand for soil well, but the output is, is how you'd want it to, re to react. Second question is about your opinion on having an API on, on the UI. Well, on the one hand, it's like, we've never been a fan of the API because it's not really the right way to think about returns within Beanstalk. But then again, it's the, everyone just wants an API and it's the thing that everyone thinks about in terms of most simplistically trying to understand the, the interest rate or the carry. And frankly, Beanstalk, one of the main value propositions is the positive carry. So it's important to, to put up the, in, the data that demonstrates the positive carry, the competitive carry somewhere on the website. So whether the API is the perfect thing to do, unclear, but uh, there should definitely be some indication of the, the return on the, on the site for being in the silo. And I was thinking, and it's not exactly the right terms, but the silo is really like beta exposure to the growth of Beanstalk. Uh, and so perhaps it's like a measure of the, the growth of the beta in some way. I guess that doesn't, that doesn't really have to do with the measurement of the APY in any capacity, but I think we need to frame the, the APY as something, something a little bit different. Now, we've always tried to be as transparent as possible, writing the formulas out and everything is like, anyone can read all the math and the formulas, but it's like, it's still imperfect. And um, manifold. Oh, we, got, I think. we got to put something up there. We got to put something up. Yeah. And manifold, I think, is plus one on on thinking of another term, maybe uh, describe APY. Yeah, I see. I see senior growth percentage. That's interesting. But the reality is, it needs to capture the return for being in the silo, and the inflation rate also misses that. It's not the bean inflation rate. It's what's the yield for being in the silo. The bean inflation rate is going to be higher than that. 
And more importantly, when figuring out real carrying costs, as long as the bean price is stable, the inflation in the bean supply doesn't affect the actual carrying costs of beans other than contributing to positive carrying costs. I look forward to the uh, choice of word here. And something tells me it may be farming related. Um, third question, what has to change about the flood um, when there is no longer a withdrawal timer? And flood is a season of, of plenty. So the flood, there's a lot to say about the flood. The flood was instrumental in Beanstalk not overheating during the initial pump and dump. It, it, it ended the pump and brought in the dump and fought against the market in order to bring in the dump. And then when the dump came, it was brutal and the price went down to 24 cents. But if there was no flood, it would have gotten, would have gone a lot lower. And it's unclear that the credit mechanism would have been strong enough if the price went down to one cent. Uh, maybe, but maybe not. Who knows? So the flood definitely had a strong effect on dampening volatility. Now, one of the rules of the flood, which didn't come into play in uh, September, was that all of the pods that were sown prior to the 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 rain starting, I guess now it's called the the farm becoming saturated, I believe. Uh, the is that the terminology? I can't believe I'm not even remembering the terminology. What are you gonna do? Um, the Imagine concept, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the the concept is that the 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 flood uh, the flood neat, the flood harvests all of the pods uh, that were sown prior to the the farm becoming saturated. What, what was previously the rain, and therefore the there's this huge like season of jubilee, if you will, where or a season of plenty where a lot of extra beans are minted. And that should help return the bean price back to a dollar and maybe below a dollar. And in particular, from a theoretical perspective, the thing to mention is that the flood only happens when the debt level, it, the pod rate is too low. It's excessively low. And so the concept is there's extra beans being minted. Maybe the price goes below a dollar and beanstalk has to mint more debt uh, because because it minted too many beans, which is sort of what the system wants at that point if it has too low of a debt level. And so there's an argument to be made with that as the context that there's nothing that needs to be changed about the flood when the withdrawal season goes to zero because right now the flood would happen one season after uh, it started, the farm became saturated and otherwise, otherwise there's no change. So I think the more interesting question is what, if anything, to do with the flood? And A, it's not clear that every pool should participate in the flood. Probably it is. But uh, the implementation of the flood from an architecture perspective in the contract can probably be further generalized to be more of like a flood whitelist. Uh, but beyond that, the... The main question is whether to have a flood happen immediately or maybe scale up over time. So instead of selling all the way to peg the first season, perhaps there's a ramp up of a couple of seasons 
not sure how that plays into the would have to think more about how that plays into the economic incentives around inorganic demand. Uh, but but there's there's some things that could could be improved about the flood, but I think generally nothing needs to change, which is what what Austin asked about. Um, and, and the term is oversaturated. Oversaturated. I apologize. It's okay. Um, the following question. So we're talking now about the temperature, uh, and maybe uh, with some ideas uh, uh, or. Uh, comments that were brought up on ways of maybe changing how the temperature uh, is adjusted. Uh, and that may include, uh, and he uses the word reflexive. I'm not sure uh, if, if that's what, what you said before. Uh, but I think that could be about maybe incorporating some data from the pod marketplace into, into the weather. Can you maybe touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of discussion about from the community, the proposal of the idea of having some sort of Dutch auction for soil at the beginning of a season, and think that that's probably the next improvement to make to the temperature that Beanstalk is paying. Now, after the Dutch auction is implemented, perhaps as a derivative, to have the temperature decrease based on the average result of the Dutch auction over time, for example, in a downward reflexive fashion, uh, but not an upward reflexive fashion because, again, Beanstalk would prefer to have downside price volatility than issue too much debt. So you can't have upside uh, temperature reflexivity. But for now, I think that there's probably more of an efficiency to be made by introducing a Dutch auction, which, again, was a great idea from the community. Not, not sure who to give the, the credit to for the original idea, but would love to know. Yeah, I remember the, I'm also not sure, uh, and I, I have someone uh, in mind, but maybe I'm wrong, so I won't say it, but I remember it being brought up months ago, and I think uh, the group that resurfaced the idea, it started with uh, Cosmat, I believe. All right, the last question is, what happens when the chop penalty goes to zero? Um, so, you know, being sold all, all for it and paid, paid, paid it all back. Will it automatically then just you know switch the unripe to the underlying, or people will have to do it themselves? There will probably have to be a BIP at some point to introduce the conversion from uh, unripe assets to, I guess, just normal assets via a chop, uh, such that there's no loss of stock. But it will be have to done by be done by the user, and there's no. There's no, you know, reason to do it at any given time as long as you're enrooting your revitalized assets. So it's sort of like an optional thing from a liquidity maximizing perspective. Yeah. So the focus would be that there won't be any like stock lost, or you won't have to lose stock. Meow Meow asks, what do you think is the biggest or going to be the biggest catalyst um, for demand for beans? So it's hard to say what in practice will be the biggest catalyst for demand for beans. That's one we'll have to see play out in practice. Uh, but from a theoretical perspective, it's the competitive carrying costs. And we think that at this point, it's still probably a little bit early for businesses to really start to be built uh, using beans, uh, but not that early. 
And what we mean by using beans is the competitive carrying costs of holding beans in the silo is something that businesses can use to, for the first time, build on decentralized primitives without any points of centralization uh, in, in a cost-effective fashion where businesses can really compete with traditional businesses built on centralized primitives. So not sure how long that's going to take for the, the whole bean economy to flourish, but the catalyst is the competitive carrying costs. Terrible asks if you think on a, on like top level any challenges that are going to happen from from the merge or the upgrade to proof of stake. I think the answer has always been uh, no, but Publius, feel free to add in if you have like other thoughts. Well, the shift to proof of stake is obviously very interesting. Beanstalk is a proof of stake system, and so it's very hard to say anything against proof of stake in general. Uh, although the specific implementation of proof of stake and how the the distribution of ETH will change over time is something that uh, is perhaps imperfect, uh, but in terms of I improving the improving the scalability of the Ethereum network, obviously the merge is a, a major step in that direction, and we're very excited about the development of Ethereum. So uh, that's that's the macro level thought. Uh, maybe Publius wants to hop up and give his own thoughts uh, if, if he's so inclined. Uh, but the the challenges and how they will impact Beanstalk don't think don't think there's going to be anything too too material because of the fact that there is no Bean ETH pool and therefore the the only Beanstalk that will retain value is dependent on USDC and USDT. So it seems like that's not going to be too sophisticated as to what happens there and. Otherwise, Beanstalk seems to continue to be more uh, endogenous, uh, running in endogenous cycles as opposed to exogenously influenced ones. So uh, for the time being, don't think that, that the merge is going to have too much of an effect on Beanstalk. But once the Bean ETH pool is rolled back out, perhaps uh, after the merge, that'll probably happen. Uh, Beanstalk will be once again more more. Uh, related to the cycles of Ethereum directly. Question from Benjamin Stockham. Um, and he asks, will there be a market for unripe assets? So something similar to the marketplace for pods, but sell your unripe assets. So unripe assets are ERC-20 tokens. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing preventing anyone from selling their ERC-20 tokens at the moment. Uh, there's no liquidity pool with liquidity for those ERC-20 tokens, but uh, there's nothing to stopping people from using an order book, for example. Uh, in terms of Beanstalk incentivizing liquidity for unripe assets, there's no reason whatsoever for Beanstalk to do that. If unripe asset holders chop their assets, that limits the amount of assets that Beanstalk needs to recapitalize. So Beanstalk would much prefer, from its perspective, for people that are going to leave and want liquidity to to sell their to to chop as opposed to selling their liquidity, and therefore it doesn't make sense to introduce liquidity pools for unripe assets. But there's nothing to stop people from selling their unripe assets at the moment because of the composability of Ethereum. Okay, and the last question um, from Terboy asks is that. Publius were never included or mentioned in any, you know, salaries or, or snapshots, let's say. Why? So we don't 
and have never taken any sort of payment from Beanstalk Farms or Bean Sprout or the Dow, uh, with the exception of like re upping the the amount of money in the Publius wallet to pay for expenses like BIPs and stuff on chain commits, but never any sort of actual payment. Uh, because the, we don't view our relationship to the DAO in that capacity. We're not workers for the DAO. Uh, we're stockholders and podholders, and we are heavily aligned with the long-term success of Beanstalk and don't require any additional compensation to work on Beanstalk. And the hope is that as more and more people have meaningful exposure to Beanstalk, uh, they as Beanstalk grows, that they will just start working on and around Beanstalk because of their own exposure to Beanstalk without needing some additional uh, salary. And so that's – we already feel like we have meaningful exposure where this is the only thing we want to spend any time on and the only thing our brains work on. And obviously it's amazing that the Dow has – created and minted beans in order to retain talent like some of the people that are currently working on Beanstalk that are really amazing. And over time, the hope is that they'll have enough bean exposure one way or another that, that they don't need to continue to get uh, paid by the Dow. So we believe in leading by example. And ultimately, uh, we feel like if Beanstalk is successful, we will be highly, highly successful. And therefore, there's no need to collect any additional salary or tax the DAO in any way for our, our, our work. And James follows up, uh, if Publius would ever consider building uh, or owning a business on top of Beanstalk. Certainly. And I think that that, if anything, is what it means for Publius to really disappear, right? For us to just become private individuals that are part of the Beanstalk ecosystem, running businesses and building things on top of Beanstalk, that's the goal. So at some point, Beanstalk does become done. I think that what, and furthermore, the experiences that come along with building businesses on top of Beanstalk will help influence the design of Beanstalk, right? So there's, there's, there has always been from the time Beanstalk was deployed, this beautiful tension between being in deployment and learning and experimenting and upgrading the protocol. So we're, we're here to support lots of different businesses that are being built on top of Beanstalk. And we hope to also participate in that uh, from a private capacity. So we really do believe that the transition towards a private role is, it's not going to happen overnight. The point is it's, it, they're likely to happen kind of symbiotically over time where We'll still be having classes and talking with the community as Publius, but the goal really is to start to just uh, exist within the Beanstalk ecosystem economically. So it's a, a little bit of a fine line, but I think that the goal for anyone that's contributing to Beanstalk, whether it's through Bean Sprout or Beanstalk Farms, the goal should be to try to figure out how do you start a business on top of this thing? How do you uh, how do you create real economic activity on top of this? There's a real like nice cushion that comes along with the Beanstalk Seniorage, and it's something that we, that we want to encourage everyone to participate in and uh, build on top of, you know, I guess encourage people to participate in by building on top of. And we want to be just as much a part of that by building on top of Beanstalk as we are top, a part of building Beanstalk itself. So I think it's all really symbiotic at the end of the day. And the beanstalk economy isn't going to build itself, you know, but 
uh, hopefully it will be built by lots and lots of people and we'll just be one small part of that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it, it's, it's not clear exactly what all of that will look like, but uh, it, over time it will become more and more clear. And an open and accessible and permissionless uh, protocol will facilitate an, an open, accessible and permissionless markets. So definitely look forward to, to, to that and seeing it grow and hopefully even participate uh, in those markets. Benjamin Stocken asks. Well, maybe just to, to add on to that, if we go back to the being in the silo is the beta, building businesses on top of being the silo is the alpha. So that's, that's the name of the game. And uh, whenever Beanstalk is, uh, I mean, uh, alpha hunting is, is uh, who doesn't like alpha hunting? So that, that's, uh, you know, it's all good. Liking the terms uh, forming there. So Benjamin Stocken asks um, what Publius thinks about the requested uh, compensations. And he, he mentions, I think, the, the back pay or the retroactive payment. But maybe you can expand this question to to the back pay and also to the proposals that were already are already out uh, for for contributors. I mean, we're we're probably going to decline to speak on specific proposals. Uh, yeah, we probably think it makes sense to refrain from commenting on specific proposals just to not engage in the real politics with regards to the back pay. Uh, but what we would say at a high level is that there were a lot of there were there were a lot of people that did stuff to help Beanstalk get up and running, but there were also a couple of people that were really, really important and spent all of their time and all of their energy and all of their brain power getting Beanstalk back up and running. And those people really do deserve to get uh to get compensated uh really nicely i think now what is deserve what is nicely i think one of the nice things about the structure that beanstalk farms ultimately went with was that it was up to each individual to evaluate what that meant and then there was also this like week-long period where people could in a like a market setting perspective see what other people were saying and commenting and proposing and adjust their own proposals and we are where we are so i think the market has said itself, uh, from our perspective, we're going to refrain from commenting on any specific proposals, but would say that uh, for the most part, they all seem very reasonable given, given what's going on. And uh, if anything, the ones that are unreasonable in our, our minds are not the ones at the higher end of the pay spectrum. It's more some of the ones at the lower end of the pay spectrum that it's unclear what work was actually done, if any, but some people still want to get paid. And you know, what are you going to do about that? So uh, I certainly don't have anything to comment on negatively about the people asking for a lot of pay. Those people are fucking awesome and we're, we're, we'll be eternally grateful for all the work that they did. Thank you for the answer, Publius. And, and maybe we can touch on a bit on, on the way uh, of, of what, how the back pay were uh, proposed. Uh, and that that happened to be so that no one initially uh, it was like the BFC were the ones who were going to decide how the unripe uh, beans uh, to be uh, like distributed, and and we we thought that that was inappropriate, 
uh, and that it was more appropriate for every, for each individual contributor to ask, uh, you know, for for the or have their ask, and then let the DAO uh, in general uh, vote uh, uh, and choose. We hear all points and understand that this may not be perfect, but I think after you know long discussions, uh, we thought that this was the most appropriate uh, way to 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 handle this. Okay, I see Alex typing. We'll see if that's a question or a comment. So Alex asks, um, you know, more about how businesses could be built on top of Beanstalk. Uh, and and maybe he 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 doesn't expect an answer now. He he says that this could be more of a, like a conversation to later. And it's a follow up on on you know this question also asked in in the podcast where he says like maybe people don't understand what is positive carry and how how can that help you know change businesses or help motivate to build new businesses on top of Beanstalk. I guess you don't have to have an, an answer. Uh, well, well, let's, let's, let's go through at least one example now, and maybe we, maybe we get into more. But the, the, the first thing, and it's, it's one of the, at, as a starting point, the different businesses that you'll be able to build will increase as the sophistication of the derivatives and structures on top of Beanstalk increase. So there's a complementary relationship between the software and the actual businesses. So the starting places, if you look at Root as a great example, that's software that we think is going to enable some pretty cool businesses that can compete with traditional businesses. Let's take Vegas as an example. So Vegas is something that crypto has been trying to disrupt since 2015 or so, since Augur came out. And the... Maybe it wasn't 2015. I don't. I, I wasn't in crypto at that point, so my memory is not perfect on on those dates. But the concept is: there's since Augur was implemented in maybe 2017, uh, there still hasn't been any on-chain betting in any significant size in any meaningful way. And the question is why? And there hasn't been any sports betting. There hasn't been any politics betting. There's no betting. Why? Uh, the reason, and, and it's. It's such, let's talk about before we get into the problem, it's such a right market for disruption. Everyone's so excited to disrupt it because you go to Vegas to bet on NFL Sunday and you're literally both sides of the bet are paying 10%, minus 110, plus 110. The fuck is that? It's like literally a crazy spread. And so the point is, how can a, what is the business? The business is Vegas. How are you going to compete with Vegas? Well, what is Vegas? Vegas is a book, a sports book. So there's this software that allows prediction, uh, that allows betting silo assets, deposits based on an oracle that's going to settle just like Vegas. So you're going to get the outcome just like Vegas is going to have the outcome of the bet. And the question is now, who's, who's keeping a book? So the business is keeping a book. So you're going to have assets in the silo and you're going to be offering a spread on bets on NFL Sunday. So Vegas's bet is offering minus 110, plus 110. If you have silo assets, you can offer plus 101, minus 101, plus 102, minus 102. That market and margin is going to get pretty thin. But the point is there's still vid there. There's still a spread there to collect. 
And that's, that's one example of a business that currently ex exists off-chain that on-chain businesses have been unable to compete with in a decentralized fashion. What are you going to use USDC and pay 8% a year to make markets on Augur or Polymarket? You can't do it. And it's not decentralized. So this is for the first time the way to build a decentralized first business where people can just make markets and the business is running a book on top of it. So there's lots of other businesses, real world businesses uh, that are not just betting and speculative that can be ultimately integrated on top of Beanstalk. But just to give one, that's a concrete example of something that in the not too distant future is a business or multiple businesses that can run on and compete on top of Beanstalk and compete with Vegas. Is it, is it accurate to think that uh, a protocol or a system like Beanstalk allows not only feeless, uh, 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 you know, protocols or businesses, but ones that also are without an opportunity cost? Well, there's no opportunity cost associated with participating in that market, and therefore it's likely to attract liquidity. Now, the thing to note is that the liquidity that exists on top of Beanstalk is, can be used for lots of different things. And so the software ultimately being composable such that you can do different things in an efficient fashion is really the name of the game when it comes to designing things on top of Beanstalk. And so that's something that I think we've started to think more about. There's obviously still work to be done on uh, improving Beanstalk at the core level, but now as we start to think about what are, what are the real things that are going to exist on top of Beanstalk, what are the businesses that you can build on top of Beanstalk? We're putting on that entrepreneur hat and trying to figure out what to build on top of Beanstalk. It's very evident that the real thing that will determine just how competitive businesses built on top of Beanstalk can be with traditional businesses is how capital efficient you can get things on top of the silo. So if you're making a market on the the Giants Steelers game, uh, not for the Super Bowl like we were talking about with DCF God, but just for Week One, uh, if you've bought the Giants uh, and then sold the Steelers side, uh, I guess bought the Giants and then sold the Giants, so you're now hedged. You need to be able to use that position again to now bet on another to bet on the Patriots. And then if you sell the Patriots side, you and I don't mean selling the position itself. I mean like you you're making a market on both sides such that you hold a position on the Giants and you hold a position on the Steelers where both positions will pay out. One of them will pay out depending on who wins. The combination of those two positions then needs to be able to be used to make other markets. And so really maximizing the capital efficiency and the structure of every market that is built on top of Beanstalk, that can be done in a really fine-tuned way in order to maximize just how competitive businesses built on top of Beanstalk can be. And that's what we're trying to think, think about at the moment, how to maximize the capital efficiency. Markets on top of, on top of markets. And in that example, it's bets on top of bets. Okay, I think we're at the end of the town hall uh, chat questions uh, or questions in general. As always, thank you, Publius, for taking the time and everyone else for, for joining us. And we'll see you in the next class. Thanks, Maud.